We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I will discuss the key questions I have been asked as I've been out on the road and in the media discussing my new book, Grow Up. What have people been asking me about its main point, its main message, and what I am trying to communicate? And what do I think the core to the book is all about? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's rebellion. Today's topic is going to be the book Grow Up Again. I've kind of gotten off of that the last week or so because I kind of beat you all to death with it during the launch week or the two weeks surrounding the launch of the book Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. But that continues to go on. And even though I've been discussing other topics like HB 1775 and critical race theory and whatnot, I want to go back to Grow Up because I have um, been receiving repeated questions, and a common theme has emerged, a theme that perhaps we've hinted at on this show but haven't really discussed in great depth. So on today's show, I want to talk about the key bullet points of Grow Up, not the bullet points that I necessarily cite in the book and have shared with you already, but those key themes that have emerged as people in the media and whatnot have asked me questions. And one of those key things is chronological snobbery. And my challenge to everyone in today's culture, whether you be 28 or whether you be 58 or whether you be 88, to honor the lessons of history and to attend to age, to treat old people and old ideas with respect. In other words, I'm going to circle back to the key theme of my commencement address with these seniors in Skyatuck, where I challenged them to recognize that their key obligation as they pursue education throughout the course of the rest of their lives is to learn the old ideas and to hold on to them tenaciously rather than becoming infatuated with the ideas that are new. It's interesting because I had a parent approach me after that commencement and thank me for that particular point and for that message because one of his daughters was graduating there that day, but he had other family members, other daughters and other sons that were there who were older than this daughter, and he wanted them to hear it. And in fact, one of those daughters, apparently one of them that is um, launched out into the woke world, disagreed with my message and even told her father that while I was speaking at that commencement, he smiled and he challenged her and he said, well, perhaps you ought to listen to him. Anyway, that's the nature of today's show. I'm going to share a couple of those stories with you, and I'm going to tell you again what I believe has emerged as the key theme of the book, Grow Up, something that I didn't necessarily intend as I wrote it, but as I've communicated and talked about it and explained it to the media and to other folks, these are the messages that I think are most important. If you'd like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash d-r-e-v-e-r-e-t-t-p-i-p-e-r that's patreon.com backslash 
Dr. Everett Piper. If you'd like to buy the book, Grow Up, you can do so at any of the bookstores near you. The easiest way probably to buy it is to go online. You can do so at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Target, or any other online bookstore. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take an early break and acknowledge our corporate sponsors. And when we get back, I will discuss the key themes that have emerged out of the book, Grow Up. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. All right. So I need to apologize in advance, probably, because I don't want to come across as bragging or being a name dropper here. But um, I think context does have to be part of this discussion. So I will share oh, some of the facts as to you know, where I've been and who's asked me questions and who seems to like what uh, I'm saying and some of those that are actually challenging and saying, yeah, but. Okay, so I mentioned to you that I spoke at a commencement down in Skyatook. That's one venue. Just yesterday, I was a keynote speaker at OCPA down in Oklahoma City. That's the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs. Uh, it's kind of a state heritage foundation, if you will, a public policy think tank that tries to influence uh, our state capital here in Oklahoma um, to consider conservative, constitutionally based policies that will grant us more human freedom rather than uh, continue to give the populace of Oklahoma, the citizenry of Oklahoma, over to government largesse. The, so the OCPA, the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs, is a very good organization that I align with, oh, probably 99% of the time. Uh, we are birds of a feather. I had the opportunity to go down to an event in Oklahoma City yesterday to share uh, whatever I wanted to share with regard to the book, Grow Up. I've been on the Glenn Beck Show over the last couple of weeks on Fox and Friends a couple, a couple different times discussing the book. As you know, I was on the Huckabee Show. And the list goes on with regard to multiple other radio shows, talk shows across the nation. Um, so here's the point. As I've talked about the book with a variety of different hosts, Many of them inclined to agree with, agree with me and my, my uh, worldview and my philosophy on life, but not entirely. I mean, obviously there are theological differences, major theological differences between Glenn Beck and myself. Um, Glenn Beck being Mormon and myself being an evangelical born-again Christian. Likewise, I don't know what the religious views are of the folks at Fox and Friends. Some of them probably share my Christian conviction. Others may not. I don't know. Uh, certainly all the listeners don't necessarily agree with my, uh, my, my Christian um, uh, testimony either. So as I've talked about the book Grow Up, I've tried to present it in a way that will challenge all of you, regardless of where you stand on the Christian scale, the Christian continuum of things. And here are the key bullets that I think have surfaced as I've challenged culture to consider the key premise of the book. Number one cancel culture is a childish culture. It's a perpetual temper tantrum of crying me and mine. Do you get my point there? Isn't that the way you feel as you're watching the daily news or as you're uh, searching on your laptop or your iPhone what's going on in the world today? It's as if we live in a perpetual daycare of me and mine. Give me my toy. I want this. I want that. It's a perpetual temper tantrum. Childish culture. Cancel culture is a childish culture, a perpetual temper tantrum of crying me and mine. It's a constant whine of you hurt my feelings. It's a, 
it's 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 a laser focus on feelings rather than facts. This constant, you hurt my feelings. I don't feel loved. I don't feel this. I don't feel that. Or the opposite. I feel like I'm something I'm, I'm not. I feel like I'm a woman even though I'm a man. I feel like I'm a man even though I'm a woman. This worship of feelings, this disregard for the facts of life is not the thinking of an adult. This is not a mature way to live. This is a perpetual Peter Pan syndrome where we just never want to grow up. It's make-believe, it's pretend, it's a fantasy land. It's a world of perpetual childishness. The worship of feelings, the damning of facts, it's a land of blaming others rather than attending to your own responsibility because that's what children do. So the key point I'm making right now is cancel culture is a childish culture. And the daily headlines prove it. I mean, just look at what we're dealing with on a daily basis. Critical race theory, intersectionality, Black Lives Matter, the cry for safe spaces, this talk about microaggressions and trigger warnings. It's the constant drumbeat of blame. All of these things that I just mentioned Critical race theory, intersectionality, Black Lives Matter, safe spaces, microaggressions, trigger warnings, all of this has a very common theme. There's a common thread running throughout all of this, and it's the constant drumbeat of blame. Um, it's even our response to COVID is childish. We're blaming others now. You're not wearing a mask. You're not double masking. You're not wearing a face shield. You are compromising me because of the way you want to live. You want to live in a constitutional republic? Well, you're making me feel unsafe. This is not the thinking of adults. Again, I'm going to repeat this over and over in this show. Cancel culture is a childish culture. And even our country's response to COVID proves it because we're trying to cancel those who disagree with us on how we want to respond to the government's mandates regarding COVID. This elevation of safety over freedom. Is that the way adults function? If that's the way we would have reacted to World War II, we would not be a free country right now. If we would have elevated safety over freedom, the greatest generation would not have sacrificed as it did to give us the freedoms we now enjoy. The American Revolution was not the worship of safety over freedom. Again, you put first things first and you'll get the first as well as maybe the second thrown into boot. When, but when you reverse your priorities and get them all screwed up and when you put second things over first things, when you put safety over freedom, you're not going to get either. You're going to lose your freedom and you won't be safe in the long term. The illusion of safety is there now, but you're not because you just gave yourself over to power and you're not living your life on the basis of principles. All of these things have the same emotional and ideological core. And that core is childishness, acting like juveniles, perpetual adolescence, the infantilization of culture. All of these things have that common thread. Whining, complaining, you hurt my feelings, I want mine, it's about me, safe spaces, Black Lives Matter, intersectionality, critical race theory, trigger warnings, microaggressions, all of this nonsense is narcissism and childishness. So what do we do? What do we do? We've become a culture of spoiled children rather than confident adults. 
And I've argued as I've gone out on the media and uh, to the media and gone out on the stump speech talking about grow up, I've argued this, that the solution is to stop the chronological snobbery. Now, why do I believe that that is the solution? Because the solution is to honor the old and stop worshiping the new. Stop the chronological snobbery. Challenge it. We need to teach the wisdom of the ages. We need to stop elevating tolerance over real love. And we need to stop elevating feelings over facts. Now, why did I say tolerance over real love? Again, you've heard me say this, but it, it bears repeating. Tolerance and love are not synonymous, but our culture wants to argue that they are. Tolerance is inferior. Tolerance says, I don't love you, I don't even like you, but I'll tolerate you. Whereas love, which is defined biblically, love is Christian charity. Love says, not only do I like you, but I love you enough to stand in your way to tell you to stop. Tolerance says, I could care less, do what you want. Love says, I care deeply enough to tell you to stop. The Lord disciplines those he loves. So we need to stop the elevation of tolerance over love and feelings over facts. And we need to return to the truths that are tested by time, defended by reason, validated by experience, and given to us by revelation. Again, you'll notice if you've been listening to the rebellion that what I just did was recite the quadrilateral, the four key things that we should use in evaluating any worldview. So when we look at cancel culture, which is a worldview, when we look at the wokeism, the wokeism of our time, which is becoming a new religion. You have to bow to the altar of woke. You have to be woke. And everything that's woke is part and parcel of the new catechism of what it means to exist in the United States. We've discarded the biblical ethic, Judeo-Christianity. And as I've said before on the show, a vacuum is always filled. You're not going to live in a perpetual vacuum. When you get rid of God... As defined in the Bible, you're going to replace that God by something you see in the mirror. That's what the religion of wokeism is all about. How do we solve this problem? What's the point of the book? The key premises of the book, the key premise of the book, excuse me, to repeat myself, is to return to the truths that are tested by time, defended by reason, validated by experience, and given to us by revelation. We need to recognize that we need to grow up, and that life isn't safe, but it's good. The issue of chronological snobbery is key here. I read a re an essay recently. It was by Jeffrey Peters, and it's uh, published in The News and Times. And Jeffrey Peters, in this particular website and periodical, titled The News and Times, says this about chronological snobbery. Now, this is a key point. This is worth uh, the price of admission in listening to today's show. And I'm going to read this to you, what Jeffrey Peters says. It's uh, a few sentences, so bear with me right now. Now, when we're talking about chronological snobbery, that is the premise, or at least that's the negative that grow up is challenging. Chronological snobbery is this uh, stagnation. This worship of youth that I never want to grow up, I'm going to be Peter Pan forever, and my ideas in my little Peter Pan world of the Neverland 
are better than all of the old ideas that preceded me. Well, that's stupid. That's foolish. As Bill Maher said, it's not that I don't understand what you're saying. It's not that I'm too old to understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, and what you're saying is stupid. Your ideas are stupid. They don't work. Canceling the police is stupid. Uh, return, trying communism again when it has killed over 100 million people throughout the history of this experiment of communism, rather that be in the Soviet Union, rather that be in Red China, rather that be in Cambodia, rather that that be in Cuba or Venezuela. We know, I mean, it is, it's a historical fact that 100 million people have been killed at the hands of communism. But yet we have 30 40% of millennials, and that's a statistical uh, fact. We have upwards to 30 or to 40% of millennials that say they want to give communism a try. Well, we've given it a try, as Bill Maher says. It didn't work that well. Let's go back to this essay by Jeffrey Peters in The News and the Times, where he talks about chronological snobbery and the arrogance of youth that disregards the wisdom of the ages. Here's the quote. C.S. Lewis, in his biography, Surprised by Joy, describes this social condition as chronological snobbery. In his work, he admits that he, too, was a snob and an ardent supporter of the new look. Well, that's a way to say the new ideas. The new look, an approach to life that pushed him to use the names of earlier periods as terms of abuse. That's C.S. Lewis's language. The new look, which pushed him to use the names of earlier periods as terms of abuse. So you use Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Ben Franklin. You use Moses and Jesus, the Apostle Paul, Jude and James and Matthew and Luke. You use the names of earlier periods of as terms of abuse, C.S. Lewis. Back to Jeffrey Peters. To such people, the prior generations were filled with superstitious nonsense dreamt up by the ignorant masses. However, Lewis found himself out of place when many of his fellow students were turning to more traditional, 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 I'll say it one more time, traditional, old, philosophical, and theological approaches. Unsure how to respond, Lewis entered into a state of confusion. He first derided them, his fellow students, thinking that they were like occultists seeking secret power. Peters then tells us that this uh, conflict that was going on in Lewis's heart burned at him. This is Peters's language. It burned at him, Lewis, causing him to dispute with one of his friends in a manner that, as Lewis describes it, I could only describe as the great war between him and me. Lewis goes on, it was never, thank God, a quarrel, though it could have become one in a moment if he had used to me anything like the violence I allowed myself to use on him. But it was an almost incessant disputation that lasted for years. That's Lewis's quote about this ongoing quarrel he was having with those that were honoring history and tradition, the old ideas, because Lewis was a chronological snob, and he thought those old ideas should be discarded. But one of his friends cared enough to argue with him, loved him enough to challenge him, not enable him, not just pat him on the back and say, well, it's okay, those are your feelings. No, one of his friends actually cared enough to debate, to argue to dispute with Lewis for years. 
and Lewis admits that that was a turning point. Back to Peters. Slowly, Lewis admits that he realized the problem was his unwillingness to examine his own thoughts and ideas, to put them to the test, and to see if his assumptions were correct. Hmm, shouldn't we all do that? And he admits that he needed to do the same with those ideas, those prior ideas and theories, those ideas that were older than his own. So instead of just rejecting the past outright, C.S. Lewis explains this, and this is a quote from him, you must find why it went out of date. Okay, so if an idea is out of date, you must find why it's out of date. Was it ever refuted? And if so, by whom, where, and how? And how conclusively? Or did it merely die away as fashions do? If the later, this tells us nothing about its truth or falsehood. Closed quote. Let's go back over that again. That's really important. This quote from C.S. Lewis, as he starts to, in humility, acknowledge his own childish arrogance in his chronological snobbery, assuming that his youthful ideas are better than the old ideas. He said, as you're looking at the past and the theories that are older than you, okay, you must find why those ideas went out of date in the first place. Were they ever refuted, and if so, by whom, where, and how conclusively? And did these ideas merely die away as fashions do? If they did, this tells us nothing about their truth or their falsehood. Okay, so Lewis is admitting that if an idea has just been discarded because it's unfashionable, that says nothing about whether it was true or whether it's false. Fashion, feelings, popularity, youthful vigor, wanting to look good and pretty, has nothing to do with the truth or the falsehood of an idea. So back to Peters. Whether examined in an economic or a social construct, merely originating in the past is neither proof of an idea's success nor its failure. Principles are principles. And those that are founded in truth will always be true, regardless of the relativistic mindset of the time period that we find ourselves in. At the same time, false ideas will always be false, whether they were embraced during the past or the present. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. This explains the issue of chronological snobbery. Think about what Lewis is telling us. And think about what Jeffrey Peters is telling us about old ideas versus new ideas. There was a conservative scholar down in Oklahoma City. Uh, he died a handful of years ago. He's revered by conservatives here in the state of Oklahoma. His name is Rufus Fears. We lost him prematurely and unfortunately so. Here is a quote from Rufus Fears on the same issue. Hear, hear him on this. Listen to this. This is his quote. I fear that we live in an ahistorical age in which we believe that we are so wise that we no longer need the lessons of the past, perhaps most disturbingly of all that technology has put us beyond the lessons of the past. Rufus Fears. One more time on that. I fear that we live in an ahistorical age in which we believe that we are so wise that we no longer need the lessons of the past, 
perhaps most disturbingly of all, that technology has put us beyond the lessons of the past. Rufus fears. Here's another one, straight from C.S. Lewis. Quote, The most recent is not necessarily the best. It is still on trial and is yet to be assessed properly. Close quote. That summarizes his concern with regard to chronological snobbery. The most recent idea is not necessarily the best. It's still on trial. You don't know whether these new ideas will work or not, so don't elevate them to some level of superiority over these ideas that have been tested for decades, centuries, and the millennia as being valid and true. The most recent is not necessarily the best. It is still on trial, and it has yet to be assessed properly. Close quote, C.S. Lewis. Here's another one. I don't even know who this guy is. I, I tried to do some research to find out what his philosophical, ideological, um, theological positions are, and I don't know. So it's possible that I might disagree with him on a lot. His name is Chris Jami. Chris Jami. But he says this with regard to chronological snobbery. If you assume that the new and simply because it's new, is always to be better than the old, chances are you've never known anything valuable. We often hear about stepping outside ourselves, but rarely about stepping outside our generation. Close quote. Chris, and that's C-R-I-S-S, Jami, J-A-M-I. It's a good quote. If you assume that the new, and simply because it's new, is always to be better than the old. Chances are you've never known anything valuable. We often hear about stepping outside ourselves, but rarely about stepping outside our generation. So my key premise in the book Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, is that cancel culture is a childish culture. It's a perpetual temper tantrum of crying about me and mine. View hurt my feelings. It's a worldview of blame. And cancel culture, critical race theory, intersectionality, Black Lives Matter, safe spaces, microaggressions, trigger warnings, and everything that we're having to deal with right now has the common root. This rotten premise of chronological snobbery, of elevating the new over the old, of thinking that our ideas, our ideas that are five minutes old, are better than those that are 500 years old, or maybe a couple thousand years. And that, to quote Bill Maher, is just stupid because you haven't had the chance to assess them properly. C.S. Lewis, the most recent is not necessarily the best because it's still on trial. You have no idea. You have no idea if this new idea is better than the old. There hasn't been time to assess it properly. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Children live in deception. Adults challenge that deception with truth. They stand up on all fours. They quit crawling their way through life. They grow up and recognize there are some things better than safety. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.